Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening, and tonight we will be talking about Justin Brierley's new book titled The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, subtitle Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again. Uh, I've titled this show, Is the Tide of Unbelief Receding? Now, that's not original. That's uh, somewhere, I read it somewhere in, in Justin's new book. That's right. But I, I like it. It's It gives you that picture of uh, the, the tide that ebbs and flows, and we'll uh, explain why, why that's significant in a moment. But joining me in the studio this evening is not Jacob Daniel. He's not here with us. We're missing our dear brother. Yeah. I think he's busy speaking somewhere. So... We, we don't have him tonight, but uh, I have Lenny Esposito with me live in person. How good, are you doing, Lenny? Good, Harry. How are you? Nice to be here. Yeah, good, good. And uh, someone you haven't heard from in a while, Dr. Peter Harris, our apologist fellow from the UK. Can you hear me, Peter? I can, yes. Oh, Hello, great. Everybody. Good to speak with you again. Yes. Uh, I love the accent. It, it elevates our show to the next level. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Harris. <laughs> Not a problem. I, I appreciate you, brother. So, Happy New Year. This is our first show of the year. So, Lenny, how was your uh, New Year? Pretty good. It was, it was good. Spent some time in New Orleans at uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary doing a Defend conference. And uh, been busy with that. Uh, planning, of course, uh, an upcoming uh conference here in Southern California, March 1st and 2nd, Dare to Defend, and you can go to daretodefend.com, find out more about that, where we have uh, Greg Gansel will be speaking, Neil Shenvey, uh, Fuzz Rana, Ken Samples, so a bunch of guys. That Who's who, here. huh? All right. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, I can check you, uh, your outfit out uh, when the time comes. That's, that's going to be fun. Uh, Peter, how are you doing over there in England? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I've had a very restful Christmas and uh, a very pleasant start to the new year. So thank you very much for asking. Good, good. I know um, in your bio, like on our site, you said that you're working to be a lay preacher uh, at the Anglican yes. Church. How, how's that coming along? That's right. Are you... Well, I've... Sorry. Uh, yeah, are you done? Um, yeah, I, I'm a minister at my local parish church and I regularly preach there. Um, so yes, I've graduated successfully, and I'm preaching tomorrow uh, on uh, the presentation of Jesus at the temple. Um, so I'm looking forward to that very much indeed. Ah, oh, that's great. That's wonderful to hear, Peter. Well, let, let me tell you, our, our listeners that this whole show came about because Peter wrote an article, and uh, the article is about uh, Justin's new book, and uh, it, it's a review of well, he titled it The Surprise Rebirth of Belief in God, Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again by Justin Brierley Reviewed. So uh, thanks to your article, I got intrigued, I read it, and I go, wait, I need to get that book. So I did get the book, and uh, Lenny and I read it, and uh, we loved it. But I want to we want to start the show by getting your take on it, Peter, because you wrote uh, an excellent review on it, which, by the way, if you're listening to this, you can read that on apologetics.com, published there. It's a front page. You can't miss it. And I would encourage you guys to read it and pick up the book. But let's start with, let's start with you, uh, Peter. Uh, tell us uh, maybe why you wrote that review. Uh, you had some uh, good things to say about the book, and you had some things that you wish Justin had uh, included in the book. Uh, so let's let's start there. Why did you write the, the review? Um, I suppose it's because I very much enjoyed the book, and I am hoping that what it's saying is true about Western civilization. But at the same time, I do have some reservations about what it's saying as well. Um, but I need to put a caveat on that. I, I hope that my criticism, my main criticism, is untrue. I hope, I hope to be proven wrong. I do hope it is the case that the tide of faith is coming back in. Mm. 
but I don't necessarily see that Justin makes a conclusive case that it is. I think he's he's open to some criticism on that front, but I do hope to be proven wrong on one of the few occasions when I want to be proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I hope you're wrong too, <laughs> with all due respect, right? Uh, but but yeah, we can talk more about that. Um, but what? Okay, go ahead, Lenny. So, so for for folks who may not be familiar, Justin Brierley was uh, host of a UK radio show, Christian radio show, which Christian radio in the UK is interesting in its own right because unlike the United States, you don't have dedicated Christian radio stations. You have to buy time and compete with secular outfits and secular markets as well. But for fifteen years, Justin did seventeen. Uh, was it seventeen I, years? I, yeah. Uh, he he hosted a show called Unbelievable, which ran, it was about an hour and a half in length, became very, very popular as a podcast, really grew in international acclaim there by bringing some of the foremost Christian thinkers and some of the foremost atheist or secular thinkers who would sit on different sides of a specific topic and they would engage one another. And these was, uh, were really Topics on everything, not merely the existence of God, but very specific, granular, you know, um, is miracles rational to believe in? Uh, how do we understand gender issues? Uh, anything the church was talking about, he engaged for several, you know, like I said, for many years. Uh, and he became familiar with the different arguments that many of the uh top apologists, top defenders of the Christian faith philosophers would make. And so he's since stepped down from that show. But what we're seeing now is, in these books, is kind of the fruition of those years that he spent uh, understanding and engaging and, and facilitating the conversations between these individuals. So and, I think that's a, a good backstory to, to unpack. Yes, thanks, Lenny, for that. And uh, he is someone that you can go back, and I would encourage our listeners to watch his shows. I'm sure they're online everywhere. Yeah, most of them are radio, so most of them are audio. Okay. Uh, he has—the uh, Templeton Foundation gave him a grant to do several video, with he called the Big Conversations, mm. which, and I think there were 10 or 15 of those. But but for the se full 17 years, it was a weekly radio broadcast that was then turned into a podcast, and there's tons of those topics that are out yes. there. In fact, he wrote his first book, I think, is titled, I might botch the exact title, but it's like, after speaking with atheists, why am I still a Christian? Right? Yeah, Something yeah like unbelievable. That. Why, after 10 years of interviewing atheists, I, I still um, believe in Christianity. Yeah. Right. I thought that was a, a provocative title. Um, all right, so what are some of the things we like about this book? Peter, let's start with you. Yes. Um, well, I think, first of all, I like what Justin says about why new atheism has failed, why, why mm. he talks about new atheism imploding, and he gives a number of reasons why that is. And I think the main reason he, he focuses on is the internal divisions within new atheism. And one of the main arguments they had among themselves was whether they were to be a purely atheist organization just focusing on... Um, criticizing religious belief and reducing its influence in the public sphere, or whether it would also be a movement that would be campaigning for various social justice issues. And that division became very acrimonious with new atheist leaders falling out with each other. Um, I would add to that, I, I think new atheism really lost a lot of energy and force when Christopher Hitchens died in 2011. I think he was probably their best spokesperson. He was certainly a very confident public speaker, very polished, very refined. And I think with his death, they, they lost a major voice. Yeah. Um, but I think also um, what Justin says, quite interestingly, is that new atheism presented a materialist interpretation of life. And that's a very depressing view of life, mainly yeah. the notion that your life when you die and, and people are looking for a different, shall we say, story, to use Justin's own term. I don't think a depressing piece of fact uh, or, or a depressing outlook on life is necessarily untrue because it's depressing. Um, but I do think that if people are finding it hard to accept a materialist, physicalist view of the universe, then they will be open to what we, uh, what we know is the truth, and that is that there is a God. 
and with whom we can be reconciled through the death and resurrection of his son. Um, so if they're looking for a better story, which is also happens to be true, uh, then Christianity is there for them. So I think that's one of the great strengths of his book. And I, and I think that, yeah, I mean, although I've been critical of it, I still think it's an excellent book and well worth yeah. reading. Yes. Yeah, I think I think uh, one of the problems with the, the New Atheist movement, of course, they were they were much more belligerent than prior movements. He, you know, a Voltaire would come out and he would make proclamations about the advancement of the Enlightenment project and how reason will overshadow faith. Um, but Voltaire also famously said, I may disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death of your right to say it. That's not what the New Atheists did. They, they actually, uh, you know, said faith, uh, belief in religion is evil, right? How religion poisons everything. And Christopher Hitchens uh, made that point famous. Of course, Dawkins, in his opening to the God delusion, has this screed against the Christian God being maniacal, most uh, malevolent, you know, the, the oft-quoted paragraph that he uses. And, and I think that rubs some people the wrong way. Matter of fact, I remember reading one article when well, not uh, an atheist was saying, I told my friends, you know, do you think I'm an atheist? And they said, no, you're not mad enough. You're not you're not an angry enough person to be an atheist. Uh, so it, it, that reputation kind of preceded the new atheists. But I also think that most people and this is proven through if you look at just all aspects of human history, we intuitively understand that there is a spiritual side to who we are. There's things like beauty and and pathos and yearnings and and a desire to attain something higher than ourselves there's there's a spiritual aspect to what it means to be human and new atheism is completely bankrupt in answering that need that fundamental aspect of human nature so that's one thing that actually justin doesn't talk about in in his book per se but i think it's another fundamental aspect of why this movement had, you know, it, it came on very quickly, shone very bright for a very little time, and then ultimately uh, caved in on itself. And so that, it, it is an interesting point. Right. There are several things I like about the book. I, I did enjoy it very much. And um, it speaks to the experience he's had interviewing all of the luminaries of our time. Uh, so very impressive, right? So he, he, he got a doctorate education right there in the 17 years he was doing the show. But I thought he made a very good observation by uh, pinning uh, the rise of religious discussion on an atheist, Richard Dawkins. He, he kept saying um, the fact that he sponsored that billboard on buses, and the billboard goes something like this. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Yeah. And <laughs> that at the outset, it seems like it's a slap on the face of Christianity. And it, it in some on some level it is, but it actually, what it did was it sparked a national conversation, right? probably a global conversation, to the point where Justin notes in, in his book that even Christian organizations started supporting uh, funding that slogan. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, it's interesting if you watch uh, car commercials. The, the Hondas and the Toyotas don't ever, don't ever compare themselves to any other vehicle. They don't have to, but it's, but it's the other vehicles who says, we're, you know, cheaper than a Honda and we're almost as good, right? So you get that kind of feeling from this, there's probably no God. It's the same kind of thing. It's like any advert, any, you know, publicity is good publicity. Right, right. Uh, the other thing I like about the book was um, I thought he did a very good job of outlining what's going on in the apologetics world mm. and, and how it interacts with secular the secular mindset out there the, the secular zeit, zeitgeist and how uh, w when you see one side pitted against the other you see how bankrupt the other side is and these are uh, the best of the best of either world you know the christian world and in the secular world and um 
like you were saying, Lenny, the secular worldview doesn't offer anything that could replace Christianity. And I like how uh, Briarly at some point uh, observed that, uh, as Os Guinness would say, we're cutting off the roots of, uh, you, you know, we're cut flowers. And, and so some of these bright minds are enjoying the fruits of Western Civ, but they fail to realize that it is connected to the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, so I thought that was uh, that's good of him to uh, expose that, and uh, and in fact, a lot of his uh, guests just kind of came to that conclusion all by themselves. And so a lot of uh, I like what he also he, he emphasized the fact uh, the author emphasized the fact that um, a lot of these strident atheists they've relaxed a little bit on their position, yeah, to to the point that they're no longer attacking Christianity, and, and they're allowing for uh you know they're, they're not christians per se at this point but now they're allowing the credit that's due christianity and and if you go away with christianity christianity then they are fearful for what the world is going to be because it can't be a no god worldview that doesn't make sense i'm gonna ask uh peter you know the the title is the surprising rebirth of belief in God, and, and what Briarly does is he points to several key um, non-believers that, as you say, are, are kind of shifting in their thinking. Now, what, Peter, what was your takeaway on, say, the Jordan Petersons or the Tom Hollands or the Douglas Murrays of the world that uh, Justin pulls on to kind of try and bolster his thesis here? Well, he uses them in an interesting way. I mean, he, he refers to Tom Holland as the historian who has reminded us all that Western civilization is the creation of Christianity, uh, primarily in its morals, which I think feeds into the political structures that we have, um, but also modern science as well. Um, so all of these thinkers are saying that even modern secularism is a descendant of Christianity because of the notion that all humans are inherently valuable, which is a Jewish stroke Christian moral value. It's right there at the beginning of Genesis where we are told that we are made in the image of God. So that there's quite a few people that he refers to in his book. It's a real stellar list of intellects. So obviously Tom Holland, Jordan Peterson, uh, Douglas Murray, Peter Boghossian, Barry Weiss, David Rubin, Jermaine Greer, Brett Weinstein, David Suchet, the British actor, and also the British novelist Paul Kingsnorth. Now, Suchet and Kingsnorth are both Christians, but the other people on the list are not. And he's very clearly delineated some very important and, and wide, widely listened to mm. public intellectuals who are, as you say, giving Christianity the credit for creating, I think, a remarkably good society that we can all enjoy and which we all share through the various fundamental cultural assumptions that we make. But I think the important point is that most of the people on that list are not Christians. Um, they're very interested in Christianity. I think we could add to the list Ayan Hirsi Ali, who has recently yeah. said that she yes. takes Christianity very seriously. But most of them are not, not Christians. And I want to, the point that I would, would want to make is that a renewed interest in Christianity as a cultural force is not the same as a revival of faith. Now, it could lead to it, and I hope it does. I, I hope these people are being used by God to open the door to, to a, a, a restoration of a widespread faith in God within Western culture. But I don't necessarily see it as following on from that. So I, I hope I'm wrong. As I said at the start, I really sincerely hope I'm wrong and that Justin is right. But I don't think you can necessarily say that that, that will follow on. Right. And I do make a point in my review that there have been other times when, you know, very, um, very well-respected very influential thinkers and, and, and artists and creators and so on have yeah. embraced the Christian faith, but it hasn't led to a, a general revival. So I, I point out in my review um, the way C.S. Lewis, Dorothy L. Sayers, J.R. Tolkien, Owen Barthold, from a British perspective, um, were very interested in Christianity. They all become Christians. Um, they have a national voice during World War II. You mm -hmm. see people coming to cathedrals to pray for... Uh, God's rescue from, from Nazi Germany, and that temporarily halts the decline in church attendance in Britain. But once that era comes to an end, 
church attendance, which is not necessarily the same as having faith in God. Exactly. People go to church for other reasons, but that decline continues. It, it, it accelerates in the 1960s. It, it accelerates again in the 1990s. And at the moment, the mainstream churches, of which I'm a member, are, are really struggling at the moment. And, and it is predicted that they will probably end by the mid middle of this century, although other Christian dom- denominations are managing either to hold on to their people or even grow, particularly the, the charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Or, or, or the locus of something like the Anglican Church will shift to Nigeria, some of the African nations yeah. who are, who are really seeing a, a, a revival. And I see, uh, a, really, there's even a parallel in the Old Testament if you look at, say, the, the uh, uh, revival that Josiah, King Josiah, starts, mm. right, where, where Judah is apostatizing, yet he knocks down all the the temples and the pagan altars uh really starts to clean up the temple and and hezekiah right both of them were were engaged in this idea and because of that you do spawn a daniel and uh those guys but the overall culture still after they were gone fell back into apostasy fell back into idol worship and ultimately were judged for it. Yeah, Peter, I thought uh, that observation that you made was a good one. I, I did appreciate that, because when you think about uh, just recent history, like you were mentioned, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, uh, yeah. and these were bright luminaries and uh, very influential, yeah. and yet that didn't cause a, a revival. Uh, who are we to think today that that might happen? But the, the other interesting thing I thought was in Justin's conversation with Douglas Murray, uh, it, it was the atheist that said that maybe there's a there might be a resurgence in Christianity. You know, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was interesting, right? He, when when he made mention of the ebb and flow of, of the sea, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he's t- t- not only open to it, but he might become one, might become a Christian. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. So, yes, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Right, Tom, please, sorry. Okay. Um, yes, the, the image or the metaphor of the, the tide of faith, um, as I'm sure everyone's aware, comes from a poem by Matthew Arnold, which was published in 1851, called Dover Beach. And Arnold regrets the, the decline of Christianity, and he, he refers to it as the tide going out. And that sort of surprised me, because I normally assume that the 19th century is a time of you know great Christian commitment, um, Victorian England and all that, but... Even Arnold could detect that decline of influence of Christianity, you know, way back in the mid-19th century. But Murray said to Briley, look, uh, Justin, um, he said, tides also come back in. And, and of course, that is true. Uh, and that's where Justin got the idea from that, that Christianity may be coming back in, but not just a, an interest in Christianity or, or a greater warmth towards Christianity, but an actual embracing of the of faith in God, of trusting in God, of being saved, of becoming a disciple, and I think that's that's a whole new ball game in comparison to having a, a benevolent, accepting view that Christianity has done a lot of good to shape the West. Um, I think the two are are separate. Right. No, that's good. I know we have one more minute before we go on a station break, but um, I want our listeners and our panelists to just start thinking about this this whole idea, which uh, in the book, Justin Brierley did uh, mention this quote, which I appreciate by G.K. Chesterton, uh, just making a comment about how maybe Christianity has this ebb and flow. And Chesterton said, uh, Christianity has died many times and risen again. For it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that was brilliant. I like that. Very appropriate. So I hear the music, which means it's the cue for us to go on a station break. You have been listening to the Apologetics.com radio. My guests this evening, uh, Peter Harris and Lenny Esposito, were talking about Justin Brierley's new book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. We will be back after a few messages. Well, welcome back to the uh, second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. 
And I am joined in the studio with my good friend Lenny Esposito. And we have a special guest on the, on the line, uh, Dr. Peter Harris from the UK. He's one of our staff apologists, our fellow in the UK. And uh, he writes a lot of great articles, which you should read, and it, they get published on our site. So, Peter, thank you for that. And, um, no worries. Yes, but before we get into our topic, I'd just like to remind our listeners that we are supported entirely by your generous donations. If you find our shows valuable and wish to see it continue, please support us by liking and sharing this on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and other social media outlets. Uh, you can also help us with our radio costs by going to our website, www.apologetics.com, and click on that Donate button. Any amount helps, and your partnership will uh, help us remain on the air. So, you know, I was just thinking, Peter, that we're live, and uh, it, it's what, like 8.30 in the morning, UK time? And uh, <laughs> you can let your friends know to just go to KKLA, right, KKLA.com. Uh, that's the name of the radio station we're broadcasting right from right now. And, uh, yeah, they can click on that link, like listen live or something like that. And so that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, we have been talking about Justin Brierley's new book. It got published last fall, I mm -hmm. believe. Uh, the title is The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. I highly recommend it. I think Justin does several things here, but the, the, the two big things that come to mind is he traces uh, contemporary apologetics, a little bit of a, a recent apologetics history of, of why that phenomena might have happened, you know, that, that rebirth and in interest in Christianity. And I like how he pins it again uh, to the four horsemen of the new atheist movement. Mm -hmm. Do you know? Do you know them by name? I know yeah. Richard Dawkins, Dawkins, Hitchens, Hitchens, Harris, and Dennett. Matter uh, of fact, that was first came out in a in an article from Wired magazine in two thousand six. That's that's where those four guys were were first kind of promoted, hmm. and uh, and that's where they became kind of noted as the leaders in this new. In this new movement, so hey, was it really a serious uh, organization? Not, no, it not was. Really. It was. Yeah. It was. They were all obviously friends, and and several of them were. You know, Harris is um, American, but Hitchens and Dawkins are both from Britain, British. and they were both part of the Britain British Humanists Association. Yes. Uh, so, but they were because they were all kind of writing tomes that were coming out within a year or two of each other and, and they got a, they were making a lot of headway in secular circles and that's what that's what drew them uh, drew attention to them but more interestingly while he doesn't dwell too much on that i mean spencer uh, you know the rise and fall of new atheism is is chapter 1 uh, one of the interesting things about this book is it's not just simply an analysis of what happened in the culture, but there's actually apologetic arguments. Yes, that's the right second thing I was going to say. Yes, exactly. Is, and and they're they're um, as much they're very relevant and very contemporary. They're not the apologetics arguments maybe that you've only heard 30 years ago. They're they're kind of fresh, which was uh, another nice aspect of this book. I think that's the major nugget, the gem. Uh, if you're looking for a new apologetics approach, I would recommend uh, those chapters where he, he, he deals a lot with longing and, uh, and, and meaning and, and the existential questions that people have, which I think, and I'd be talking to my friends about this, I think in this day and age, the whole um, quest to find out if God exists or not, I think that's a little bit uh, past our, our time now. I think, if anything... Uh, people are religious or spiritual. spiritual. They they don't care if God exists or not. T to them, it doesn't matter. But uh, uh, for them, some deity, some force exists, and that's good enough. So it's not like they're staunch atheists. And uh, I think today, if you label yourself an atheist, uh, that's probably an intellectual c kind of a pursuit. And uh, and again, 
Well, you hear all the people trying to distance themselves even from the label, right? Well, I'm an yes. agnostic atheist. <laughs> yes. like, like, like there's different aspects of atheism. Yeah. Now, uh, Peter, I was going to ask you this. I, I wonder how much of Justin's analysis here uh, of, let's say, the optimistic kind might be colored by uh, his experience uh, over there in Great Britain, because while I can see that happening also here in the U.S., but I wonder if uh, if a lot of his analysis is based on his uh, U.K. experience. What do you think? And Lenny, chime in too. What do you think? What do you guys think? Um, yeah, I think it, it may be. Um, I think he's probably, you know, what he's saying applies to Western civilization generally. Um, I... It's very hard, though, to pinpoint what he would be so optimistic about in Britain. Um, certainly, the the, uh, the first time in British history, um, less than 50% of people have identified themselves in a national census as Christian. It's now down to 49%. Um, but on the other hand, he might be um, he might be taking his optimism from the fact that most people still regard themselves as spiritual. So. They may not be, you know, let's say part of a, an organized church or institution, religious institution, but they're still very open to the idea, as was said earlier in the broadcast, that there is something more than the material world because we seem to have desires for things that cannot be satisfied by the material world, uh, which suggests that there is another realm that can satisfy those desires, which, of course, is the, the famous argument from desire that C.S. Lewis uses. Um, so I think his optimism might be coming from that, but I think principally he's he's optimistic because of the the change in attitude from that very harsh anti-Christian tone yeah, of yeah. atheism to a more welcoming, a more open consideration of the good things, the well, the outstanding, sublime things that the Christian civilization has done. And I think. What, what Briley really likes is the fact that Christian civilization is, is so different to any other civilization. This is sort of pointed out by Tom Holland in his book Dominion, where he says that if you look at the ancient world, their, their outlook, their morals are so much different and so much in more, so much inferior, should we say, to, yeah. to, to Christian morality as well. So Julius Caesar presents himself as a possible Roman emperor on the basis that he's, he's killed a million people in a war in France, whereas today, you know, no one would ever dare say that. In fact, they'd probably find themselves into, in the International um, Court of Human Rights in The Hague for behaving like that. So, you know, Holland says, well, you know, I'm not a Christian, but my whole world is suffused with, with Christian principles. So I think that's where Justin is taking his optimism. But the public intellectuals he mentions as being a cause of his optimism are not only British, but they are also American and Canadian as well. So it, it's, a, it's a real sense of the Western world waking up to the fact that it is based on Christianity, something that Friedrich Nietzsche was saying back in the 19th yeah. century. And I, sort of, I lament the fact that Justin doesn't say more about Nietzsche, who himself found it troubling that Western civilization is so Christian and, and said that, you know, with the decline of Christianity, there has to arise a new morality, which will be forged by moral geniuses, these free spirits that he refers to. But of course, Briley says, well, actually, no, this is a move of God because of God's love, his grace and his sovereignty. I like, Peter, that you pointed that out, because I feel like if you talk to any, uh, maybe uh, any student of philosophy on a, maybe a sophomoric level, uh, especially if it, they're coming from a fundamentalist Christian upbringing, Nietzsche is always the bad guy. Like, there's nothing good about him. But you're right, though, that he did ask the pertinent questions of his time. He was honest. He, he was, was honest. He was at least honest with yeah. it. And, and when he declared that God is dead, it was a lament, actually. Yeah. It, it's not like yeah. a, a triumphal thing that, yeah, yes, atheism has, has yeah, succeeded you, you and we've no killed God. have no idea what you've done. Yeah. Right. But it's more of a lament yeah. that, that secularism has killed God, and it's, it was a bad thing. For Nietzsche. Yeah. Yes. And Nietzsche says, if you kill God, or you kill the belief in God, or the idea of God, you, you can't hold on to the morality that went with that God. Right. 
which is what secular humanists are trying to do. They're, they're trying to hold on to a Christian morality but remove God from the picture. So when they say all well, human beings are valuable, you know, that, that comes straight out of Genesis. Um, so their project is, is going to fail in Nietzsche's eyes. If you remove the metaphysical underpinnings of a moral belief system, then the morals also will collapse as well. And what will we then have um, as the basis of our morality? It will be, it will be determined not so much by uh, Christian idealism and, and Christian altruism. It will be decided by who's the most powerful and who's the loudest. And I think there's some evidence that that, has, that is already happening now within British society and, and other societies. Yeah, I, and to your to your point, I did find it fascinating that he specifically talked with Peter Bogosian. And if you if you've knew Bogosian in say 2012, I mean, he and James Lindsay, their whole point was to go around to college campuses and debate Christians. And Bogosian comes out with a with a book on you know how to create an atheist. He he yeah. he kind of corners this idea of street epistemology, which is, you know, how to argue Christians out of their beliefs. So his his whole enterprise was to disavow people of their faith, to, to uh, basically pull them away from their belief system. And he then says, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. My Christians are actually the ones who uh, care enough about reason, care enough about the 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 uh, Western libertarian project to um, allow reason to thrive and flourish. They're, they're actually a, an ally more than an enemy, and I'm not going to go after them anymore. We have other issues that are far more pertinent uh, for us to tackle, and we can tackle them together. And that's, that's really amazing to see a guy kind of pin, swivel on, on that point to that degree, because Bogosian... Uh, even on Briarley's show, he was uh, facing off against Tim McGrew, and they spent an entire hour arguing on what does is belief an unjustified claim to knowledge, or is it something more than that? You know, what do you mean by faith? Is is faith an unjustified belief or not? And so, uh, it it is an amazing change, and I can kind of see some of uh, Briarley's optimism in seeing people do that. But as you say, it's it may just be a, a mode of, of wistfulness where some of those stalwarts are kind of gasping for a return to those values that they cherish, even though they have no grounding for those values. And and similarly, you you know, I mean, he points to Antony Flew, uh, which was interesting, which kind of precedes this whole effort. Actually, Flew's a little earlier. Um, but you, you start to wonder, you know... Um, how how popular are those? Because most of these individuals, as is pointed out a, as well, are uh, their values swing into a more conservative camp. You know, even a Dave Rubin. So the guys who were prior, prior previously left are, are now kind of more politically on the right. And and that becomes an interesting dynamic as well. You know, uh, that's a perfect segue. You're reading my mind here, Lenny, because I wanted to get uh, Peter's opinion on this. In the article that you wrote, Peter, yes. you mentioned—here, uh, let me quote this. Briarley acknowledges this, and this is the—where, uh, uh, let's see. Well, let me back up here. It, you said— Peter, it is of note that most of the above intellectuals are highly critical of progressive politics in the form of transgenderism, and some have taken contemporary feminism to task. Briarly acknowledges this in his short biographies on each thinker, but avoids asking the contentious question as to whether a Christian consciousness or one that is sympathetic to Christianity is antithetical to radical leftism. So I, I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that about Justin Briarley, but you said that he avoids uh, to take a political stance on uh, on his shows, yeah. so he, he tries to avoid that, right? Is that is that your yes, sense? He, yes, he does. Um, and I think that's part of his way of um, bringing people together. Um, he's very self-effacing as a, as a radio host, which obviously makes the, the atheist feel 
or the agnostic or the critic feel able to come on the show because they don't feel they're not only arguing against their debate opponent, but they're also arguing with the radio host as well. Um, so I think that's partly his instinct as, as a radio host and as someone who is an evangelist as well. He's very much an evangelist at heart. But I would want to ask him that question. Um, does he think that being a Christian means that you cannot engage in radical left-wing politics? And I think he probably would say yes, because radical leftism does go hand in hand with atheism. Certainly the, the manifestations of communism that we saw in the 20th century were, were very violent atheist in their nature. Um, the League of the Militant Godless that persecuted the Orthodox Church during Stalin's ascendancy and so on, and, you know, the shooting of priests and believers by Lenin's secret police, the Cheka. Um, so, yeah, I would, I, I just, I'm just curious to know whether what, what Briley would himself say on that matter. And, and I think that maybe he could have said something in the book. Um, yeah, that, that that would be it's nice. Really You're right. Then then yeah. it would be a, a perfect book if he did that. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You, you know, I mean, your comment there, the one that I just read, uh, reminds me even uh, that the church here in the U.S. tends to avoid politics, and that P word, politics, is deemed to be a dirty word many times, and so it is kind of. It is kind of regretful when a lot of the political content actually intersect with uh, with Christianity. So let's say, for instance, if abortion becomes politicized, then the church tends to be silent on that, and it becomes a pri- it becomes a private matter. And, and uh, it, it is unfortunate, but that is the case here. Uh, I think I imagine it's the case there as well. Yes, it is. Um, although we do have um, a rather interesting situation in Britain, um, we, we do have a secular government. Um, Tony Blair, one of our former prime ministers, his um, media spokesman, a man called Al- Alistair Campbell, said, uh, we don't do God. In other words, mm. although um, Blair, I think, has a Catholic faith, um, he didn't bring God into any of his discourses whilst he was prime minister. Uh, but we do have an interesting situation in the sense that bishops of the Anglican Church in Britain do have a place in the House of Lords, uh, which is the second government chamber that scrutinizes legislation coming from the House of Commons. And they do make political statements. They are often critical of the government. So there is some politicization within the structure of the church. But I think, yes, customarily, um, ministers will avoid talking about politics with their congregations because it can be very divisive. And I, I certainly don't make political points in, 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 in any of my sermons because that might alienate some people and, and therefore they might fixate on what I'm saying about politics rather than what I'm trying to say about how to live a Christian life, who God is, what salvation is, and, and so on and so on. So perhaps just like you, Justin's also being wise about about those kinds mm. of things, just unnecessarily alienating people. I get it. I get it. But yes. at, at some yeah. point, we have to really dig deeper here. Yeah. And and this is like a, a sermon for all of us, right? Uh, at some point, we have to be the Daniels. We have to be. Well, yeah. There's yeah. a there's a there's a philosophy in hockey. If you if you're ever um, interested in ice hockey, one of the things that the coaches will tell you is get good on your skates. Practice your skating a lot. Most people want to, you know, make sure that they could shoot the puck and they can get it in this corner of the net or that corner of the net. But the philosophy is, look, the puck handling will come. That That's just a natural part of the game. But you have to know how to maneuver on the skates. You, you have to have this foundation. You have to have the stability there. And I think it's the same with Christianity. If we can get people foundationally grounded in the essentials of the faith, in the idea of the resurrection, uh, of Jesus being our uh, primary example in life, then the specific issues that as they come up, those will come. Those will, those, those will grow naturally out of one's discipleship. But it's important to start with the foundation of fundamental. You don't want to slip and fall because you can't take any shots, right? Similarly, 
you want you want to make sure that people are because again uh, a lot of these folks that Briarly is talking about they're not Christians they like the idea but there's usually something holding them back Tom uh, Thomas Nagel had said you know he was impressed that some of the smartest people he knew had become Christians but he said I know that if I become a Christian then I'm morally accountable and I just don't want that yet you know and so that was it wasn't an intellectual barrier it was a heart issue and so sometimes that's what we have to focus on first and once we get through that then then the other issues can kind of follow suit yeah one of the toward the end of your article peter you made uh yeah. one you said one final point in closing that's the second the second to the last uh paragraph here and I, I like what you said here about uh, Justin maybe painting so broad a brush to uh, let to, to, to have all materialists um, uh, be engaged in moral relativism. But you're saying that that's not the case, right? Um, would you explain yeah. or expound on that? Like, who are some of the uh, materialists who, who aren't moral relativists? Yes, um, there is, a, I think, the, the main name that I can think of is, is Kai Nielsen, the philosopher who doesn't accept that atheism leads to moral relativism. He, he argues that he's a moral absolutist, and also he has argued for the existence of non-material realities. So although the universe is godless, existence is godless, the, the, the stuff of which we are made is not just merely matter, it's also um, non-material um, entities as well and although I I'm not necessarily saying that those atheists are right um, but I do think it's important that although probably most atheists are materialists and some are moral relativists there are a lot who are moral absolutists and there are some probably a few um, who are also believers in non-material realities and I think that would, that would actually provide a more accurate picture of atheists. I think we have to get them right. We, I think we have to understand their arguments with accuracy before we can then really accurately dismantle what they're saying. Right. No, that's a good observation. In fact, that's also uh, probably really wise advice for for just any budding apologist, because it's so easy to make some of these arguments and with a triumphalist attitude say, you must be a Hitler then. If you're, if you're an atheist, you're going to be a Hitler, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Or you're just, it, 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 we just degrade them and, 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 and insult them. And, but a, a lot of atheists, they, part of their ethos is to, live a, a good life and, and to be nice, gentle, yeah. loving, all those kinds of things. And I have to take them at their word and, and that they are sincere. Now, like Lenny mentioned a, a while ago, the grounding issue yeah, is that's always... that's the problem. That's the big problem. Yeah, but we don't have to shove it in their face in the beginning, I, yeah. I think, you know? But, but it can lead to something down the road, and this is kind of the point of the book, is once you start taking away that foundation, then it becomes much easier. For example, look at the current Hamas-Israel conflict. And so many i i was actually shocked because in the 70s and 80s when you had the different movies on the diary of anne frank and you had shoah and you had even steven spielberg's uh schindler's list right you have to say you know who would be pro-nazi who would be for you know, clearly the Jewish people were, how can anti-Semitism even thrive? I mean, this was, it, it just seemed inconceivable to me that we would ever be able to come back to an era where people would champion those who would do acts of despicable, unspeaking, unspeakable evil. And yet now we have Hamas who did acts of despicable evil, unspeakable evil. And there's pro-Palestinian rallies happening with no regard and, and justification because you know they are the oppressed class 
And there's some kind of, you know, and when you're starting to call Jews Nazis, you are just very, very confused in, in your, in your, I mean, but, but the point being is when you've unhitched your, your moral grounding from something like God, then of course you're going to get this relativistic response and, and look what it produces, which is actually really scary for our society. Yes. <laughs> When they call evil good and good evil, that's where we are right now. Uh, we are, we've got just a couple minutes, uh, Peter, uh, and then we will end the show. But I thought we, before we end the show, I, I do want to uh, have our listeners know this um, study that was done by uh, an Oxford psychologist, Mackelchrist, I think is uh, his last name, Dr. Mackelchrist. Would you uh, talk briefly about his findings about the whole left brain and right brain issues, how as a culture, probably since the Enlightenment, we've focused too much on the left brain. And uh, I, I think Justin uh, writes here and quotes uh, this uh, Oxford psychologist that, that because we're so left brain and we've neglected the arts, the emotions that I think Justin used the word uh, that cultures get destroyed. <laughs> Would you comment a little yeah. bit on on that uh, study about the left brain and the right brain? Yes, I think this is for me the most interesting thing that Justin says, and it's a real reminder to to myself as an, as an apologist. Um, yeah, the the psychologist um, in question, Ian Michaelchrist. Um, yeah, he. He goes along with the idea that the brain is separated into two hemispheres. The left deals with reason, the right deals with imagination. And cultures that don't honor both sides of the brain are impoverished. So if you don't honor reason, you're prone to superstition and, and irrational behavior. If you don't honor the imagination, then your, your life becomes very prosaic and, and gray and dull. Um, but what Justin does is he, he takes this idea and he says, we apologists, we are very much focused on, on reason, presenting arguments for, for the existence of God, or at least saying that you know, it's plausible to say that God exists. But what he says is that we also have to make people realize that it's desirable that Christianity is true, not only that it is true, but actually make them want it to be true. And in order to do that, you have to appeal to their imaginations. You have to appeal to the, the right-hand side of their brain. And, and I thought to myself, that really helps me because I've spent a lot of time, you know, arguing for the existence of God on the, on the basis of rationality, attempting to disprove the notion that Christianity is inherently irrational and so on. But what, what work have I done to tell stories, tell the Christian story and make people see how desirable it is that an eternal God who loves us beyond our, our ability to understand um, exists? I love that. That reminds me of a quote by Pascal as well, that, um, that we should want to make Christianity um, be wanted by our listeners. Yes, so, yes. Peter, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you all the way from the UK. Thank Thanks for being on our show. And uh, I know we are ending already in the next uh, few seconds. So, again, uh, hope uh, you have a good weekend. And... Uh, We'll, we'll talk again soon, Peter. Thank you. Thank and, you very much. God yeah. bless you all. God Bye. bless you too. Uh, Lenny, thank you also for sure, being a, a guest. Or you're not a guest, but being a part of our panel this evening. So you've been listening to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. So thank you again for listening. And... Good night.